Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with the 293rd edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, it is Thursday, so you know what that means. The Silver King is back once again to talk all things AEW and NXT. And with me today, for the first time in a long time, on Thursday is none other than vintage Chris Manini, who attended the most recent AEW Rampage and Battle of the Belts 2 show. The guy also watched Dynamite and NXT on time for the podcast, so we get a very special appearance from Chris on today's show to break down everything that happened across all three of AEW shows this past week, as well as the most recent edition of NXT. But it would not be an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast if I did not begin by reminding you that this show So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, also leave a review, let people know how much you love the show, why they should listen, and as always, reread every five-star review live right here on the show. Our most recent one coming in Sunday from Dude 4 sounds like a AOL or a AOL Instant Messenger screen name uh, from what, 1998, something like that. Silver King is getting over five exclamation points. One of the buh, best is what I assume it is. It's the headline. It's too long. Uh, Adam, great podcaster, shining on his own. Uh, I have followed him from a previous podcast. He's fully prepared and provides amazing commentary on all of our favorite shows for the main wrestling promotions, WWE and AEW, and always calls it right down the middle and entertains. On Tuesdays, Adam is joined by Chris Vanini, who offers great insights into Raw and SmackDown. They play off each other very well. Adam also does great interviews with pro wrestlers and does instant analysis for pay-per-views, which I really enjoy as well. If you are a fan of pro wrestling, subscribe to this podcast now. You won't regret it. I don't regret reading that. Thank you, Dude 4 That's one of our probably 10 best reviews all time, and we got nearly 400 of them. So thank you very much for those kind words. But in addition to leaving the five-star ratings, leaving incredible reviews like that one, thank you very much. You can also do me one more favor. Follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. It is the best possible way to know every single time we drop a new episode. We also do live shows through Twitter spaces ahead of pay-per-views, and we do posts and polls, uh, GIFs, videos, commentary live during the major wrestling shows in North America, everything you could possibly want in terms of covering professional wrestling, you can find on our Twitter at GettingOverCast. Okay, Chris, long intro today. Welcome you from like a week after missing shows. You're back two for the same week. Uh, excited to have you. Uh, before we get into the wrestling talk, I know a lot of our listeners also kind of dive into, you know, some other very popular uh, genres of entertainment, some like probably Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Those are not for me. But what I do like are comic movies, uh, the Marvel and the DC universes. Just got finished watching The Batman. Just got finished watching season, uh, episode four, I believe it is, of Moon Knight. I believe you've seen both. I know you've definitely seen Moon Knight. Uh, I'm open to talk about whatever you want to talk about, but I feel like we should have some type of conversation about this to start the show, given it is so fresh in our minds. Yeah, I mean, obviously I missed last week's show, so I figured I'd make it up to come on the Thursday show this week, in addition to having been at the AEW shows. And yeah, I watched, I caught up on Moon Knight last night, Wednesday night. And I tweeted, 
that I, I was starting to sour on the show until the end of episode four. We won't spoil it here, but the end of episode four is bonkers. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm back in on it. And then you replied and you, you sound like you had the same feeling. I literally just finished watching it when I saw your tweet. Like I, I finished watching it. I went to the bathroom, walked the dog. And then I was like, I'm going to go send a tweet about this before I go to sleep. <laughs> and and then I saw your tweet right away. Yeah, it, it's um, look, the, the, the middle two episodes out of the four. Not great. The first episode I loved. The show needs to be weird. It's got to be like kind of off the wall, goofy right. horror type stuff. That's what I liked at the beginning of it. The, the middle two, it kind of turned into like a knockoff of the mummy or something like that. But I hope uh, I hope they're getting back into kind of the weird stuff. It's very similar to a lot of these Marvel uh, series, I guess is the best thing you could call them on Disney Plus in that it takes a couple episodes. Like it was very similar with WandaVision. I enjoyed what we initially got, not knowing what it was going to be. I was like, oh, this is cool and different. But like by the third episode, I'm like, man, this is kind of wearing on me. Like, you know, this isn't working. But then it became a completely different show in episode three, four, all the way through the end of that, you know, season one of that series. And I feel like Moon Knight is literally going in a very similar direction right now. Loki did not suffer from that. Uh, Hawkeye, that show didn't suffer from it. Um, but yeah, it just feels like it was going in a different direction. But I saw that. I've been sick for, you know, about a week. So I hadn't been getting into a lot of the shows I needed to catch up on because my head hasn't been really clear and I had work and a bunch of other stuff. But I was able to. Batman came out Monday on HBO Plus. Um, HBO Max. HBO Max. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not that far before that, uh, Spider-Man uh, was made available to me, and I got a chance to watch that, both of which I missed in theaters. So, I was I gonna say, say, so, you, so you didn't see these in theaters? No, I, and I normally would, and the pandemic yeah. wasn't preventing me from going to theaters for them. It just timing. It just, for some reason, mm-hmm. it didn't work. I had trips and a whole bunch of stuff that was happening, um, sports and my, my responsibilities at work. Uh, so I, I ended up seeing all of this at home, and I mean, Spider-Man like blew away my expectations, although... I did think it was a bit convoluted, if I'm being honest. Yes, it is. Uh, Batman, like, talk about blowing away my expectations. I thought it was going to be shit. And it was incredible with the exception of the way this guy uh, played Robert Pattinson, played Bruce Wayne, the emo take, not for me. The rest of the movie, the casting, fantastic. And then Moon Knight, last night, I was like, man, I am, I I really don't think I'm going to give up the show. I, I have not given up a Marvel series since the ones on Netflix. I just stopped watching those cold after like Luke Cage season one, which I enjoyed, but the ones that came after it, I didn't care about. Um, And I I see this episode and I am dragging. I'm looking at my phone. I'm scrolling through Reddit, like and Twitter and stuff. And then all of a sudden he winds up in that room and I I put the phone down and I was captivated for the final 15 minutes of that show. So I wanted to discuss it here. I, I figured you felt the same way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I said, Batman, I, I saw it a while back. It was, um, bit long it didn't drag too much the 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 floor was high i think the ceiling was low it it was solid but it's that's a lot of disney plus and hbo max and i I know you're excited about a month from now we're getting obi-wan kenobi on disney plus and i'm excited for that more than any of these shows i think i'm sure you are too so obi trice is getting a show on uh (laughs) on what i I thought the guy was like i thought his career was over the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer, uh, I've watched that, I think, perhaps more than any other trailer in my life. It's uh, very good. For those who don't know, Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. All right, let's get into the show. Enjoy, you can enjoy your Star Wars on your own time. I will not permit that here on the Getting Over <laughs> Wrestling podcast. Uh, but, you know, folks, uh, we don't, you know, we used to do this, like, you know, a lot of 
BS talk to start the show about topics not directly related to wrestling. Tell us if you like this. Do you want us to do more of this to start our shows? Do you want us just to get right into the wrestling? Does it depend on how important the wrestling is in that given week? Send us uh, tweets, DMs. Let us know if you like some of this banter uh, to begin the episodes. But Chris, this is the AEW and NXT episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And we do actually have a lot to talk about across both AEW and NXT. For anyone who might be a first-time listener of the show, uh, be sure to check our episode descriptions. We will have timestamps for the AEW talk and the NXT talk. If you only watch one show or the other, you only want to hear us talk about one show or the other, you can find the timestamp. Skip ahead to the specific segment that you want. But I really do hope that all of you listen to both parts because it's important to know what's going on across WWE, all of its brands, and AEW. Chris, this week, let us begin with AEW. As I mentioned on the at the onset of the show, there were three episodes of AEW TV this week for us to cover. So we have a lot to get through. I mixed it all up based on storyline between Rampage, Battle of the Belts, Dynamite. I thought Rampage was strong for the third straight week. And you guys know I've been heavily critical of that show, but it seems like a a foot has been put forward, a best foot, one would say, Mm -hmm. by Tony Khan to, you know, give people reasons to want to watch that show and actually care about watching it. I'm still DVRing it on Fridays and watching it on Tuesday or Wednesday. But nevertheless, I've been entertained by Rampage, which is not something I could have said for nearly two or three months prior to that. Battle of the Belts, I did feel was a serious letdown. By comparison, if you're going to have these special shows, they should be special. You know, the Clash of Champions back in the day, you got really exciting, good wrestling and and title matches, and they were important. Doing a tape show with a Ring of Honor belt and other stuff that doesn't matter didn't feel important to me. Dynamite, I thought was excellent for the first 75, 80 minutes of the show, and then completely fell off a cliff at the end. You were at Rampage, Battle of the Belts. Before we get into a full breakdown of all these shows, what was your perspective on those shows as well as Dynamite on Wednesday? Yeah, so they've come to, it's technically here in Garland, Texas. It's a suburb of Dallas. It's near me. They've come here now, I think, four or five times. It's really part of the loop, and they don't hit a ton of cities right now. I'm going to the Detroit show in June. They've never been there. They just hit Boston for the first time, I think. Um, they're, they're, they're starting to hit more cities, but obviously the pandemic changed the travel plans at the time. So they've come through quite a bit here where I am, and I've gone to all of them but one. This one I didn't know what to expect, because normally you go, it's a dynamite and a rampage uh, set together. This, we got there. Also, shout out to uh, Patrick Martin, uh, he, I don't know if he's a listener. I know he's a reader. He DM'd me and offered me a ticket to the show, which is why I went. I, I wasn't actually initially planning to go, but thank you to Patrick for that. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect because it was a live rampage in an earlier time, uh, plus Battle of the Belts. We also got a ton of dark. He, they filmed like two or three weeks worth of, of AEW dark stuff on there too. So it ended up being about four hours of wrestling. And I got to say, like I was into it for the, for the most part. And the crowd was definitely into it the whole time as, as well. The, the arena was almost totally full except for the hard camera side, which is kind of normal. Um, the pacing of the show was a bit weird because it was rampage and then dark and then battle of the belts and then dark again. <laughs> and so we ended with a big 
10 man tag involving the Hardys and stuff like that. And it was a good way to go home. But I got to say the AW crowds continue to be really, really good. I've got problems with AW product and we'll get into them here, but you can feel the electricity when you're there and when you're watching on TV, that the crowds are super into these shows in a way that you don't, we're not always getting, not often getting even at the WWE level. So AW still got a lot of momentum as it relates to the, the live crowd part of it too. Yeah, the crowds continue to be really good, and they come across mm-hmm. most of the time good on TV. Many of the taped rampages don't come across well. They seem to pipe in audio or uh, reduce the audio, or maybe the crowds are just tired because it's taped after Dynamite. I'm not exactly sure, but many of those in the past have not come out come across that great, but the crowds are, are awesome. The question is, they, they keep running the same buildings, and there yeah. is going to naturally be diminished interest and diminished attention even if their ticket prices are reasonable, which I believe they are, they the more are. they it's, keep running. If you, if you don't know, for us, it's about $30 far back. It's about 50 to be on the camera sides uh, and, and then parking. So it's, it is relatively uh, uh, not expensive. Right. So, so all of that's great, but I know they're going to go to the West Coast soon. But I mean, how many times have they run Pittsburgh and Chicago and Dallas area? Um, mm-hmm. there was a time where they did Miami like four times in, in two months, of course, obviously Jacksonville, they're there all the time, but there's a reason for that. Uh, multiple good reasons for that. It just feels like they need to branch out a little bit more. Uh, I actually, I don't even think I said this on the WWE show this past week, but I meant to say like, doesn't it feel like WWE is always in Knoxville, Tennessee and Bianca Belair is always having a homecoming, right? So they are there quite a bit. So like, look, maybe it's just me being jealous, right? I live in South Florida. The companies don't come here, okay, because they like North Florida. They like the Jacksonville area. They'll occasionally go down to Tampa or in Orlando because there's a major airport they can fly out of. But they don't like having to trek all the way down to South Florida, to Miami, to the Fort Lauderdale Sunrise area. We get like two shows WWE, two shows AEW a year, and they're either house shows or really poorly timed. And I'm just not able to go to them. Uh, so and, and never pay-per-views, never pay-per-views in South Florida. I went to Armageddon in like 1999 and outside of WrestleManias in Miami, which there's been two since then, I believe, I don't think they've had anything else like no SummerSlams, Royal Rumbles, Survivor Series, Money in the Bank, never here in South Florida. So maybe I'm speaking from a very unique position where like I live near a major city, but we don't get WWE or even major AEW shows, but it just feels like they're always in Dallas, Texas. They're always in um, Pittsburgh. Many of, you know, Atlanta, they're in all the time. I'd like a little bit more variety, and I'm sure their fans would like a little bit more variety as well. But I'd like, we got to get to this actually, like the content here of AEW, um, get away from the tickets and attendance and all that type of stuff. Let's get into the shows. As I said, Rampage, Battle of the Belts, and Dynamite. I'm doing it based on storylines. So we're going to talk about all things that are similar and, uh, you know, intertwining with each other together. So I will also designate, by the way, when each of these things occurs that everyone understands and we can keep our heads together. So let's start with Rampage, which had the biggest match of the week, uh, the AEW World Championship Hangman Adam Page defending against Adam Cole in a Texas death match. The pre-match promos here were good. Chairs were the weapon of choice throughout the whole match. Page hit Cole with one on a moonsault, then ran him into a flat chair between the turnbuckles, which of course led immediately to blading. Luckily, it was only a little blood. I don't think he went deep or wide enough. That actually works because a little bit of blood feels like a hard way. It, it actually, there's some reality to it. Whereas someone with an entire crimson mask after getting run headfirst into a flat chair just doesn't make any sense. 
Anyway, Hangman got clotheslined with a chain tied to the top rope, but countered Panama Sunrise into Deadeye in a really great spot. Cole countered a Page Moonsault outside with a super kick, then hit Panama Sunrise. Hangman may have bladed his chin, I'm not sure. Hangman took Cole off the top rope with a fallaway slam onto a chair. Then they traded strikes and kicks. Cole went to grab a chair, and Hangman hit Buckshot Lariat. Then he tied Cole's hand to the top rope with his belt, but chose not to hit him with a barbed wire chair. So he untied Cole and immediately ate a low blow. Hangman put some barbed wire around Cole's head and hit Deadeye through a table at ringside in a really dangerous spot that was also exciting, but it allowed him to get into the ring and beat the 10 count for the win. This started slow. It picked up massively in the middle, and then it finished kind of slow as well for what I thought, even though that final spot was fantastic. I thought it was a far cry from their first match. That one was way better, but it was very appropriate for a TV match, and they did enough to make it a Texas death match. So I went four stars in an A minus, super entertaining. I'm just thrilled that this feud is over. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when AEW started, they said they weren't going to do the rematch stuff, and they've been doing that a lot more. I, a lot. You know, Hang, Hangman's been. Hangman's been pretty lost since he's been the champion. He's kind of on TV infrequently. The stories, there's not much there. But I did like the shift in him coming into this match, which was that he's standing up to Cole, telling Cole he doesn't give a shit about when he started wrestling and stuff like that, coming across a lot more as a badass, which I think was needed coming into this match. That match was fun. It was, you know, obviously a lot going on there. The final spot was indeed pretty crazy. I, I liked I thought it was a great way to to end a, a, a 10 count type of match. It, it, it was very it, it was it, it flowed very well at the end as the move happens and then he gets in in, in the rings over. Sometimes whether they're last man standing or stuff like that, they can get a little kind of little wonky. Uh, so I, I like the finish it was good. I do hope it's over. Seems like we know what's next for for Paige, but he still feels generally directionless. I think his character. I completely agree with that. Uh, let's keep going. The Undisputed Elite was finally all together again. They were on Dynamite. It feels like it was more than a month since that's been the case. Kyle O'Reilly was excited for his Owen qualifier match against Jungle Boy. Adam Cole gave a pep talk to them as a group saying all the Young Bucks friends were gone. Cole suggested they do a 10-man tag match next week and fully act like he's acted like he's the leader of this group. He said he had something else to handle, but tried to convince the Bucks to go along with it and do the match, which they did eventually announce. So let's quickly talk about the match and then we'll get into the big announcement, the huge announcement, I'm sorry, that Tony Khan had. Uh, so we had Jungle Boy against Kyle O'Reilly. After just seconds, O'Reilly reached the ropes on a snare trap to break the uh, submission. He came back with a superplex, escaped the pinning combination from Jungle Boy, hit a brain buster, and then drove the flying knee into Jungle Boy's back for the clean one, two, three to move into the Owen tournament. Christian Cage came out to console Jungle Boy after the loss. So I didn't mean to be short on this match, but there just, to me, wasn't much notable in it. In fact, for two guys that are excellent wrestlers, it surprised me how lackluster I found this match. And it's okay if others disagree, people like different things, but I went 3.25 stars and a B. I did not think it was anything special. Having one half of your tag team champions lose to another half of a tag team that they've beaten multiple times for the titles already felt kind of weird. O'Reilly is the right person to be in the Owen tournament. It didn't feel like this should have been a qualifier. It felt like it should have been a first round match. I still don't know how many people are in the Owen tournament yeah. or why the they're doing qualifiers or what the format is going to be like. Is it, 
I, I, I think it's going to be a bracket because that's what the graphic looks like and not like a round robin. But there's just so little information and the types of qualifying matches they have are so different from the women to the men, from one women's match to another, from one men's match to another. Sometimes it's two stars going head to head. Sometimes it's a star against someone who from dark. I just don't really understand what they're doing here. So for this match to have been a qualifier, for it to be lackluster, and for Jungle Boy to get beat when it seemed like they were building him up and they've done nothing with Kyle O'Reilly as a singles competitor so far in AEW, I thought it was extremely weird. Uh, so I was going to bring up the, the tournament issue. that it, This thing was announced, I think, back in 2021. Yeah, it's like, that, it feels like that, it's been six or nine months since it's been that they, That they were going to do it. Like you, unless we've missed something, and it's possible, but they, they're not reminding us. I don't know what the format is, how many people are in it, what you get for winning it. Like, nothing. We're, 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 we're getting qualifiers at, at random. And it's just, it, it, it's odd for such, like, an important thing that they're hyping up that there's not a, a, a structure to it. And this is one thing AEW does. They, they, they promote so many things ahead of time all at once, and you lose track of what's happening when and who's involved in what. And so that that's one issue the match itself it was fine you know it, i enjoyed it it was fine i'm not the biggest kyle o'reilly guy that's just my thing um so it, it was fine it the the promo that the undisputed elite cut beforehand though that actually did stick out to me when uh i think it was kyle o'reilly told the bucks uh, you said it but your friends are gone and I didn't that that didn't really hit me until that moment. I mean, you think about the old elite, the original BTE group. Cody's gone. Hangman's not with them anymore. Kenny's out. Marty Skrull was never with AEW. Um, Cole Cole really is their only friend left here at the moment, and and that is an interesting dynamic in terms of what the potential of Undisputed Era is moving forward. So I'm interested in that. But as for the tournament. I'm just kind of like, whatever, qualifying for a tournament that we have no details on doesn't mean anything to me right now. By the way, so uh, they announced it in September. So it's been eight months. In December, I think they said there'd be a men's and women's tournament. And then I think in March, they said the tournament first rounds, I think, would start in May. So what, that's like, you where don't we're at. But that. It was announced yeah. eight months ago. And, I, and again, we still don't know, is it? Uh, 32 man men, 16 women. Is it 16 and eight? Like, and what are the qualifiers? Is every spot getting a qualifier? Are some people automatically qualified? Are champions excluded? Are they not? Yeah. I just, I don't have answers to this. It, for something that seems really important to AEW. I mean, they're, you know, look, look, AEW does a lot of things. Um, I don't know the best way to put this. So they're doing this for a really good reason. Owen Hart deserves the recognition. Martha Hart, um, you know, getting her husband uh, this, you know, this opportunity to be remembered. All of this is spectacular. And it certainly feels like Bret Hart's going to be involved in well. This is all really good. But AEW also really likes doing things that they know WWE can't do because Martha Hart won't let WWE mention Owen's name or do anything like this, right? So for something that it seems like they are doing for perhaps two reasons, let's say, or, or maybe one reason 90% and then the other reason 10%. For there to be this little information after an eight-month period of time is really them dropping the ball. And I know other things have happened. I realize that Tony Khan literally bought Ring of Honor and they came up with this big announcement, huge announcement that we're about to talk about right now. So it's not like this guy hasn't been busy. He also owns 
two sports teams, by the way, and other companies. And he's this guy has shout, a lot of shit. By the way, shout, shout out to Fulham. They they earned uh, promotion to, to the Premier League uh, over the weekend. So the Indeed. cons, one of the cons sports teams finally did something of, of note. By just being able to compete with teams at the best professional level. Yes. Yeah. Still, uh, but con- it's, it's still an accomplishment. I'm not downplaying it. I'm just saying. You know, it's not like they, they've been in that league, you know, and, and able to compete recently. Anyway, so he, there's a lot going on in this guy's life. He's also doing a million interviews and he's crying about Twitter bots and things like that. But really, none of that is a good excuse for not announcing basic details about these tournaments. I mean, we learned that the finals are going to happen at a certain date. That's good. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But again, how many people are competing? I, I just these are basic things I'd like to know. I just, the, I can't get excited for the tournament until I know what it means. That that's all. That's yeah, and 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 do the winners get something? Do they get a, a guaranteed title opportunity? Is it just the cup? The cup is enough, in my opinion. But is sure. there more to it? Like again, things we need to know. But okay, let's move away from that. Let's get into Tony Khan's huge announcement. Tony appeared on AEW TV, not backstage, uh, not randomly, but purposely with a microphone in his hand. I think for the first time ever. On television, I know they did the fight for the fallen deal where he gave the check out. That was like after the pay per view technically went off the air, way was back the in ring, the day in year was one. Was the ring of the ring of honor announcement? Was that on on TV with him? Was he I on TV was. for that, or was that a pay per view? I think they I just remember. announced that he bought it. I don't think he was on TV for it. You look it up while I keep talking. Yeah, yeah but regardless, he was on TV. Okay, which I thought was for the first time ever. It was something he said, by the way, he would never do, but I don't really care about that. It was cool to see yeah. him there. Mm-hmm. Um, he welcomed the New Japan Pro Wrestling president, and then Adam Cole interrupted them on the big screen. Cole announced that AEW and NJPW will do a super show called Forbidden Door on Sunday, July 26th in Chicago. He also said he would fight Tomohiro Ishii in an Owen qualifying match on Rampage. He also said that the Owen finals will be held at Forbidden Door. Then Jay White came out to say it's not about NJPW or AEW, but the Undisputed Elite and Bullet Club. I thought this was extremely well done. As I said, I liked seeing Tony out there, even though he said he was never going to be a character on TV and wouldn't put himself on TV. Um, oh, he did the Brody Lee thing is the one time he was on television. That was he, I, By the way, he, he did announce Ring of Honor to open up Dynamite on March 2nd. Oh, he did. Okay, so this is the third time. Okay, so there you go. I did remember the Brody Lee thing. So, okay, so he's apparently gone back on that already. With Ring of Honor. But this was big enough news. Ring of Honor also was big enough news. And of course, the Brody Lee Memorial was a big enough you know, event that happened um, where it all made sense. It really would have been great to get Kazuchika Okada or Tetsuya Naito or someone to show up instead of Jay White, who we've already seen. And they kind of brought him in and then didn't really do anything with him. That's a minor gripe. Overall, it lived up to the hype of a huge announcement. Uh, but... Only probably, I would say, for what? Like half of AEW's audience. There's plenty of people who have never seen New Japan before and who probably only ever heard of New Japan simply from watching AEW and and seeing their talent. But I can only speak for myself. I personally am pumped as all hell. This is going to be an incredible event. And now the door is fully open for AEW talent, like Brian Danielson, obviously John Moxley has already been over there, CM Punk, a lot of these guys to be in G1 Climax, which happens again this July. And that is going to be just as thrilling 
as this Forbidden Door show. I've been pretty out of New Japan since the start of the pandemic for a variety of reasons, including a lot of their own storylines and booking decisions and things they did with their world championship. But this is going to get me right back into it. I have seen some criticism online. I don't think it's really fair that, oh, great, AEW is doing something that's a big deal for people who are already their fans, but it's not going to grow their fan base. Well, number one, that's bullshit because there there is an entire country of Japan. (laughs) You know, like this is an entire other nation who, by the way, is one of the three or four foremost nations that loves professional wrestling, right? It's, what is it? United States, Mexico, uh, Japan, and England in some, or the United Kingdom in some combination, right? Probably Japan and Mexico are 1B, 1C to to United States 1A. Hell, that may not even be correct. Mexico may be even more than uh, the United States. I don't know. But the point is, this is a country, a big country, that is a ton of wrestling fans. So this is a very good thing for AEW. And this is also a fifth pay-per-view for them. They've only had four for the first three years of their existence. Now they're adding a fifth and it's a big super show in Chicago with New Japan that is going to probably get, I don't know, like 130,000, 150,000 pay-per-view buys. It's going to sell out. That's a lot of money coming in, even if you have to split it. I presume that maybe next year they're going to do an AEW New Japan show in Japan. That would make a lot of sense for them to do. So this is a great business relationship. So people shitting on this, I don't get. Maybe it's because I know and love, or loved, I should say, New Japan that I care more about it than others. But I don't get why people don't think this isn't a big deal. Okay, is this going to grow their fan base in the United States? No, but business is about far more than that. So I'm excited about it from a wrestling standpoint, and I'm excited about it for AEW from a business standpoint. To me, this was completely good, and the announcement was well done. Yeah, I'm not a big NJPW guy. I'm aware of it. I know the people in it. I went to the G1 Climax when it was in Dallas a few years ago. Again, everything comes through Dallas. Um, But so that's sure. I I don't know. Some of these people are. I'm sure I won't. Did you go to the G1 Climax show? In Dallas? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Um, So... It's good. Is how much of an impact is it going to make in the United States? I don't know, but it's still like you said, it's a good international business move. Something that they've done the last couple of weeks now. AEW clearly trying to expand globally, which is a good idea. Uh, as for this announcement, uh, it was the structure of it was kind of weird to have mm-hmm. Tony come out and then the NJPW guy come out, but then Cole interrupt and then Jay White comes out. <laughs> it was like a lot of things going on at once. And when Jay White came out, first of all, Jay White's like random one-off appearance in AW a few months ago, whatever that was, his appearance on this show would have meant a hell of a lot more if Absolutely. he hadn't done that a couple for, for no reason a couple months ago. Could, could have been an even bigger, like, holy crap, Jay White is here for this big announcement. Anyway, so it, and my thought was he better acknowledge the Bullet Club Elite thing because AEW exists because right. of the success of the elite in the Bullet Club. So I was very glad that he mentioned that. And if it's a undisputed elite versus Bullet Club type of thing, I'm all in on that. That's one of the NGPW things I am generally aware of. Uh, so I, I think that's great. The name Forbidden Door, I'm kind of sick of hearing the phrase, uh, but sure, whatever. O- overall, uh, very positive. Definitely a big announcement worthy of, of Tony Khan coming out. And it's just it's good to see when a wrestling company does something different keep keep 
keep things fresh. And it's different. That's another really good point. It's something yes. that doesn't... I mean, yes, the, the Ring of Honor show with New Japan, they've done it before. I was at the one at Madison Square Garden. It was okay. I mean, was MSG sold out? Yes. Was it cool to watch wrestling there? Yes, absolutely. Kazushika Okada against Jay White? Very cool. But there was a lot of garbage in that show. And anyone who watched it knows that was the case. There was a lot of shit and a lot of just stuff that, you know, you would hope for better from a pay-per-view. AEW has the roster and the booking right. to yes. give you that. This is the super show that we have not gotten before. We have not gotten probably since the 90s when WCW went over there and did shit. And I don't even remember any of that. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen any of them, nor do I think that if I went back and watched any of that, it would live up to what AEW and New Japan is going to give us in June. So I'm extremely excited for it. I do think there, if some of the criticisms are, you know, there's places for them, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, yes, it does make sense that it's another move that isn't going to grow their American audience. But again, business is about more than just growing your American audience. There's international situations. They already have a deal where Dynamite and Rampage are now on NJPW World, the streaming service for New Japan. Uh, in, I believe, Japanese, they're being translated. That's super cool. So they want to grow their audience there. That's smart. They want to make more money here. That's smart. And guess what? There is the opportunity for me to potentially see Brian Danielson and Kazuchika Okada, mm -hmm. the match I want. And if I get that, I'm going to be over the moon excited. So whether it's this time or whether it's in the future, I'm going to be excited for that. Okay, let's move on a lot more from these three AEW shows this week on Rampage. Dustin Rhodes cut a promo about taking Lance Archer out of the top five of the rankings with his upset win. He then challenged CM Punk on Dynamite so he could write it off his bucket list. Not a match I thought I would normally care about, but Dustin's promo did get me juiced for it. So on Dynamite, we got Punk and Dustin. This opened the show. After some real good back and forth action, Dustin got near falls after a code red and power slam. Punk put in the figure four and they did the old school sequence. Dustin hit crossroads and a pile driver for a 2.5. Punk was unable to get him up and over for go to sleep, selling an arm injury. So he slid Dustin off his shoulders for a pinning combination and the one, two, three in a fun match, I would say, that was the better part of 20 minutes. Uh, there was mutual respect also in the post-match here. This was excellent, really good way to open the show, somewhere between like a 3.75 B+, four stars A-, minus. even though Punk does not need to be established, beating a veteran like Dustin helped him become an even more legitimate contender for Hangman. And that paid off immediately because Paige came out for a stare down right on the stage. It was a very strong first 25 minutes of TV. Yeah, yeah like I liked it. I'm, I'm kind of torn on, I think, the length of it. Like It was a little too long. AEW opening up with a 20-minute match. And Dustin, who is, is rarely on TV, I, I, we know he's the natural Dustin Rhodes. We, we know he's a legend. But CM Punk needing 20 minutes to beat him does not immediately tell me this is the guy who should be in the world title picture if you're just kind of looking at it from a, a big picture perspective. But I don't know who else is in the title picture at this point because there's nobody else who's really been positioned there. They're not sending MJF there. CM Punk is, I, I guess, the guy. Um, you know, I, I love seeing CM Punk and Dustin Rhodes together. The, the whole legend thing, the respect. Loved it. Lo loved Also loved Dustin's um, gear. He, he, had, he had Texas on the side of it. And then on his boots... He had what was the shape of a film camera, which is, I think, a cool little nod to, to Goldust as well. So, so that was cool. Overall, I just felt this was maybe a bit too long. And if CM Punk is going right in the title picture, it should have been a bit more 
a bit definitive. more dominant. Decisive. Yeah, definitive is a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. I agree with that. That's a fair. It was um it was a little indulgent unnecessarily. Especially but, but when they had a lot of matches and segments on the show and a lot of stuff to Yes. They put they did a lot on this show. There was. So let's just keep going with it. Uh, so the main event was Darby Allen against Andrade El Idolo in a coffin match. Private Party and Blade attacked Darby after the bell. Sting revealed himself in the crowd in the old school Sting face paint under the Sting mask and no sold the chair shot. Darby gave Andrade a low blow and Sting again jumped off a of vom onto four guys for a pop. Again, this is a singles coffin match between Darby and Andrade. Andrade caught Darby trying a coffin drop outside and tossed him with a German suplex. Then he had a vertical suplex on the ramp and a toss suplex onto a metal grate. Darby put Andrade into the coffin with a tope suicida. Andrade tried to escape, so Darby slammed the door, which had thumbtacks on it, into him. Andrade just stayed in the coffin. Jose ran down to help. Jose takes off his jacket and shirt when there's a coffin with thumbtacks in it. Uh, guy's an idiot. So Darby backdrops him into the tax. Then he slams the lid onto Andrade, who, by the way, is still in the casket or a coffin. Uh, does it twice. Andrade slides into it completely, like his arm falls in, and it gets closed for the win. And then after the bell, the Hardys come out and do the delete chant on the <laughs> ramp for really no reason at all. This, okay, it wasn't the worst casket coffin match that I've ever seen, but it was up there. Sting basically outshines Darby every time the guy gets on TV to the point that you forgot this was a coffin match until the final six minutes. Darby badly needs to get away from Sting. It's over. They have yeah. to move past this. This match played second fiddle to the Sting stuff. And then the Hardys come out to chant, but they don't bother to help while Darby's getting outnumbered four to one and then four to two. Plus, it's another big match loss for Andrade. He probably should have won this if you really think about it. What did this victory do for Darby? Again, Sting was the one who got over here and it was a Darby yeah. Allen Andrade match. I went 2.75 stars in a C plus. I really did not think this was good at all. It was one of the lowest points of the entire show. And the Darby Allen booking is, as you can tell, infuriating me at this point. Look, I, do, I don't, I just, I've never really cared about Darby Allen as a character, as a whatever. Andrade's just kind of nothing over there. I didn't really care about either of these people. And you're putting him in the main event of the show for another coffin match. I don't know how many we've, is it three? At two. Least? I want to say two. Two. Was the, I guess the one must have been, it feels like it just happened the other, not long ago. But I, I, I think you said it, uh, make it a body bag match or something else, make it a, li a bit more unique to, to Darby Allen, sure. But in general, yeah, I just, I don't really care about these people. I pop big for Sting. I pop big for Sting doing the, doing the mask thing again, jumping off a, a thing again. Sting is getting more from this, I think, than Darby Allen is. And so, yeah, I think you need to split them away. But more than anything else, Darby Allen needs a character, man. Like the, the guy who's just kind of emo all the time and skateboards, that's, it's been like three years of that. I still don't know much about him, what he wants, why, like, like, there's just, there's not, there's just not much there that I'm personally connecting to. And so it's just kind of whatever when I see, but I'm excited for Sting. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing. So on Battle of the Belts, we had a TNT championship match, Scorpio Sky defending against Sammy Guevara. Sky at the TKO on the apron. Sammy later came back with a running Spanish fly for a near fall. Ethan Page saved Sky from a high risk move and ate a shooting star press outside while being distracted by Ty Conti. Sammy slipped on the double springboard cutter, and Sky kicked out at 2.5. Dan Lambert 
distracted basically for no reason. Paige Van Zant ran down to brawl with Conti. Sky poked Sammy's eye right in front of the referee who did nothing about it. So Sammy gave him a low blow behind the referee's back and hit the GTH to regain the championship for the third time in, I guess, what, four months, five months? Uh, so in a change from usual AEW booking, Sammy was actually allowed to celebrate without an attack to the point that he and Conti blatantly French kissed on the ramp. Uh, the match, I thought, was nothing special, and the entire finish was completely muddied by the distractions and the women fighting at ringside. I went 2.5 stars in a C. Like, I just didn't really care for this at all in Battle of the Belts. I didn't care for it, and I'll say in person, and I tweeted this at the time, saying it wasn't a spoiler, uh, the crowd had very much turned on Sammy by the time he walked to the ring. And so it was this kind of weird dynamic where, to the crowd, they're both heels. And some people would kind of sarcastically cheer for Scorpio Sky because the people were really turning on Sammy. The match was kind of whatever. And then when he won, I was kind of surprised. I was like, I was like, I, I don't know, because this is, uh, I don't know if this is, this him and him and Ty thing as a face group is absolutely not working as a face gimmick. Something needs to change. And then it changed. Yeah, well, so let me first say before we get to that, this was not as bad as Finn Balor's United States Championship reign recently, because unlike Balor, Sky never lost and he actually did beat Wardlow, even if that was bullshit. But it was terrible and a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. They gave a guy who beat no one on note over an entire year on Dark credit for an undefeated streak and let him win the title, which only to lose it to the same guy he initially beat one month later. In between, he refused challenges with the exception of Wardlow, who earned one and got screwed out of the opportunity. This wasn't even a transitional title reign, which you could say, okay, yeah, it wasn't a good reign, but they did it for a storyline purpose or to protect someone or whatever the case. This was just total, absolute garbage. It felt like AEW kind of said, hey, you know what? We should probably give Scorpio Sky a title reign, but we don't actually want him to be champion. Let's just be honest. That's what it was. It was total garbage. The first year that it existed, the TNT title was treated like a huge deal. Those reigns for Cody, Darby Allen, Miro, the way Brody Lee won it, even though his reign wasn't great. But while Sammy has had this TNT title, his matches, they've been exciting. They've been good. But his reign in the championship have felt completely worthless. And it felt to me, before we got onto Dynamite, like this was going to continue going this feud so that Conti and Van Zant could keep fighting with a mixed tag team match. I don't have a desire to see any of these people. Okay, Ethan Page, I'd like to see him. Scorpio Sky, Dan Lambert, Paige Van Zant, Ty Conti, Sammy Guevara. I don't want to see any of them on my TV. And you guys know I've been a huge supporter of Sammy's as a wrestler and the future since the beginning of AEW. So for them to make me feel that way about five different people that is a failure in terms of booking and storytelling. I, I agree. And that was my feeling coming out of Battle of the Belts. But I will say what happened next on Dynamite has kind of shifted my feelings on it a bit. Okay, I don't. it didn't for me. So this will be an interesting conversation. So on Dynamite, Frankie Kazarian walked up backstage and he wants to challenge Sammy for the TNT title. Scorpio Sky walks up to him. He asked Kaz, since they were former partners, hey, do me a favor, dude. Wait a little bit longer for your opportunity. I want a rematch first. And Kaz agreed, even though he's a face now and Scorpio Sky's a heel, just based on their history. So then in the ring, 
Sammy was finally down to wearing only one title. So one positive here is they got rid of the two belts. <laughs> Great. Uh, he got some jeers and told people, be mad over my relationship with Ty Conti, which by the way, is a direct steal of be jealous from The Miz and John Morrison. Uh, Men of the Year came out and got sparse cheers. Lambert said Sammy can either give Sky a rematch or get a pounding that Conti could only dream about. He got a pop for that. It was a good line. It was a good line despite continuing to be misogynistic shit from him, but it was a good line. Um, Sammy agreed to a rematch as long as they also get a mixed tag team match. Then Sammy's music starts playing. Before he gets to finish the announcement that they're going to have a ladder match next week for the title, why are they having a ladder match? Didn't he just have a ladder match with Cody, or am I mistaken? He did. Okay, so he just had a ladder match. They're doing another one for no reason. And let me get this straight. They are doing a double turn with fucking Dan Lambert (laughs) as the person that they are countering this with. And why are we turning Sammy heel again? Like, why is this necessary? This whole thing is a complete mess. And it's the last thing I want to see. These guys fighting again. And then a mixed tag team match. I presume a double or nothing. I don't know. Maybe TV coming out of that. Please put me out of my misery and end this damn storyline. Look, look. It's very convoluted and I'm not going to mix that. But I, I will say... I think they I think they successfully made a double turn here because people cheered the men of the year coming out and people cheered Lambert for the lines. It, they it, did, it, but it it was like they were forced to do so. They it, were for, because because they hate Sammy so much because that has But they don't hate him so much. They moderately hate him a little. No, bit. they hate him. I I was in that I was in that arena on Friday okay. and then heard it on Wednesday. They are sick of Sammy and Ty together. And I don't know if this was the original plan or if they're adapting on the fly because people are hating them. But either way, as I said after Friday, it needed to happen. So because of that, the men of the year are suddenly getting cheered. Now Lambert, it was it was a good line. He had a couple lines that popped the crowd. I didn't mind it. But honestly, this is the perfect opportunity to get them away from him. Yes. The men of the year. Correct. Ethan Page is a great talker. The crowd is clearly behind the two of them now. I like Scorpio's guy. I really like Ethan Page. This is the opportunity now to get them away from him. And I think really elevate these two guys as a as a essentially a face tag team now or something like that. So it I I I I think this worked to an extent of that they pulled off a double turn. I am kind of sick of it a little bit, but I, the, the different dynamics here have me interested moving forward. Now, if they switch the title again, I, do we need another title match right away? No, you could stretch this out for a few weeks and then do a title match, but AEW never does that. Uh, so I'm I'm optimistic in general about this because I, I think they've adapted to what the crowd was doing. And I think it was all right. I think this was the plan. I don't know that it was necessarily adapting men of the year. If they end up as a face tag team, you know, in a similar way to the rock, when he first kind of had that little transition as the rock uh, from Rocky, my to the rock yeah. as a heel. And then he eventually got face chance. You know, I'm okay with that in theory, but again, turning Sammy heel, uh, there's not a, a great reason for it. It doesn't necessarily make sense. And doing it with a third championship reign, 
where he still has the TNT sure. title and he's not cutting good promos as a face and he's not cutting good promos as a heel. To what end is this? What who is the person they are putting over? Is it a Keith Lee? Is it a Swerve? You know right. where where is it going? Right now, it is as repetitive as anything that WWE does. Like you want to talk about Biggie and Apollo Cruz fighting eighteen times in whatever period? This is the same shit. There's just less shows. You know what I mean? Like uh, and more people. So that you know, but but there's no there's no variety here. If you want to continue this long term storyline, you can do it over multiple months and have them interact every two or three weeks but in between right. you got to allow them to do other shit and right now there's no other shit happening and that's sure. my biggest I'm, problem I'm, I, I'm is the Lyre match next week is that what it is i think so yeah they, they announced so many things ahead of time i lose track of and it. then there's a mixed but tag I, at a to be determined date that we don't know about i, I yeah I, i'm gonna give it until that <laughs> they, 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 so you're giving them two more matches? No, because they flipped it. Because now Sammy's a heel and the other guys. Are I face. don't want to see it anymore. I, I want to see how I want to see how it works. I think I think the crowd was really into it uh, more than more than some other stuff. Okay, so but we're, we're, I, we're, that's we have a match here. Chance. We have a match here where he's not giving the title back. They're, they're not going to have him lose it again. So and, and so we got to see how that. Happens. So it's almost a wasteful match, and we've already seen them wrestle now two or three times. So we've seen what they do together, and. It's good, but it's not that great where I want to see it a third time. And again, we've already sure. seen Sammy in a ladder match inside of the last three months at this point. So it's, again, it's just very repetitive bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Let's, we, got, we got a lot more. Let's keep going. Battle of the Belts, women's, AEW Women's Championship, Thunder Rose against Nyla Rose. Nyla did an apron bomb and overpowered Thunder early. Thunder hit a stunner and a few drop kicks, plus a really bad tornado. There was back and forth action with Nyla mostly dominating. Thunder dodged an attempted senton on the apron. She eventually reversed a Hurricanrana into a pinning combination for the win. This was a horribly built match in terms of storyline, and it was awkwardly paced and presented once the bell rang. Thunder deserved much better for her first feud, and she deserved like to hit a finisher and beat someone at the end of this, especially given how bad it was. I went 2.25 stars in a C. I mean, I don't know the last time I've graded significant AEW matches this poorly, but this is legitimately what I felt about it. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a letdown from a match, which was too bad because I really like both of these people involved. I love Thunder Rosa. I love Nyla Rose. I, I, I think they're I think they're both really good. It just didn't quite click for me. Uh, I, I will say, based on the last two times I've gone to AW shows, is that in Texas, Thunder Rosa is maybe the most over person on the roster. She she got absolutely humongous cheers both times. Uh, so uh, shout out to her. Wishes would have been better. On Rampage, we had the Butcher against a Jobber. This was basically a popcorn match to get the Butcher a singles win before he faced Wardlow on Wednesday. He won in a couple minutes with a powerbomb. So on Dynamite, we had Wardlow versus Butcher. When Wardlow arrived early in the show, or early probably before the show, Mark Sterling and security met him to ensure he knew he would be handcuffed and only permitted in his locker room and the ring. He, this made him look cool as hell. MJF yes, and yes. Sean Spears, <laughs> yes. uh, they ate popcorn in a suite and introduced Wardlow to no music. And the match, Wardlow versus uh, Butcher, you know what it was. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. Only meat out there. Wardlow hit his powerbomb symphony. I think four of them for the win. He was then handcuffed immediately after and left. I really like the presentation here. There's nothing else really to write home about in terms of the match. He didn't get away. He didn't try to attack. This, in my opinion, is what they should have been doing initially with Wardlow, and then you go to where he breaks free and he chases after MJF. As yeah. I said numerous times in the storyline, a lot of this feels backwards. 
but I did yeah. very much enjoy what we got on Wednesday. I thought it was pretty much pitch perfect because also later backstage, MJF paid off Jake Roberts for a match with Archer, who was pumped up about having the match. So I guess Jake is back and Lambert is now out with Archer. I don't really know what's happening there. Anyway, Wardlow, Archer, that's going to bang as well. The Butcher match, nothing special, but the presentation, the storyline, um, the way the whole thing was handled, I thought was exceptionally done. Yes, and I appreciate uh, AEW having Butcher win a squash match on Rampage mm-hmm. to set it up, just to remind you that, just to give you a little something, be like, hey, the Butcher's worth someone, worth someone worth paying attention to before this match, so... Yeah, the handcuff, I, I wrote down my notes. I say he looks, the, the coming out of the handcuffs thing looks incredibly badass, so I like it. Yeah, it looks awesome when they do that. Uh, it, Steve Austin looked cool when he did it too. I mean, you know, yep. Becky Lynch yep. also, right? So mm-hmm. uh, on Rampage, back, Blackpool Combat Club fought Gun Club. Wheeler Yuta was more aggressive than usual. He got cheered on by the veterans. Brian Danielson hit the psycho knee on Austin. John Moxley hit a stunner on Colton. Yuta eventually avoided the Famouser and rolled up Billy with a bridge for the win in 12 minutes. This was a good match that succeeded in featuring Yuta's changed, altered persona since joining them. We also got another match on Dynamite, the BCC against Dante Martin, Lee Moriarty, and Brock Anderson. Danielson and Moriarty had a nice sequence. All three BCC guys beat down their opponents simultaneously, and Mox hit Paradigm Shift on Martin for the win. It was strange not to have Anderson take the fall here. He was the easy person to lose. Dante Martin, they spent like a year trying to get him credibility as a singles wrestler. By the way, his brother Darius came back. He's now nowhere yes. to be seen. Dante was in this match. He has another match, uh, a 10-man scheduled for next week. Darius isn't in that as well, so maybe he got hurt again. But this was another fun trios banger. I like that the BCC is starting with the lower card and working their way up the ranks. This could well result in a trios title. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, but I do hope they expand beyond three people. So on one hand, it would be cool if this resulted in a trios title. On the other, this should actually be a faction where they have four, five, six people, and I do hope they get there. Uh, with, with Darius Martin, he was in a 10-man on dark taping. Uh, that I So why are they split that, up? So I don't get I'm it. not sure why he's not I don't on get it. the TV version. I'm not sure. I, may, I don't think he got hurt in the match, but I don't know. Just wanted to say that. Yeah, no. Um, important. Uh yeah, I, I, this is I, I, it's a great way to get AEW does a just it does a, such a good job of making you feel like almost everybody on the card should matter. So having the BCC against the gun club, like it was just like, oh, here's it, it's a fresh matchup. The, hey, the guns are worth someone or someone again, someone you should just are worth paying attention to. And and th- that just that goes a long way. You know, they're not going to win, but it, it, it's a fun match. Billy Gunn, by the way, Billy Gunn versus Dan O'Brien. Billy Gunn versus Moxie. It's cool to see. Dude is like 60? Yeah, he looks good. Dude, dude looks... Oh, 58. Dude looks insane. I, I mean, that's 60. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah, so just shout out to Billy Gunn. And uh, yeah, like you said, starting with the lower card, working their way up, and then not being a squash match, that just helps everybody. It's a, it's a good format. Absolutely. On Battle of the Belts, we had the Ring of Honor World Championship, Jonathan Gresham against Dalton Castle. There was short video promos for these guys to establish them on TV. I thought that was smart. I wish they were a little bit longer. Gresham won via submission with the octopus hold. He's got some talent. Commentary tried to sell this as a great match. It was not in any way. Uh, I don't have much else to say about it. And that's really it. Jay Lethal and Satnam Singh entered after the match. Singh killed the boys and threw Castle into the stairs. He made Gresham look like a child standing next to him. <laughs> lethal hit lethal injection on Gresham. 
Singh slammed his head into the canvas. Singh then tossed Lee Moriarty, who ran down for some reason. I have no idea why. Matt Seidel then tried to attack with a crutch for some reason. Again, I have no idea why the guy's on one leg. He got killed. He was about to hit a powerbomb when Samoa Joe came out with a lead pipe and the heels ran away. So this post-match was not necessarily good, but it was a hundred times better than Singh's debut on Dynamite. If this had been his debut instead of Dynamite, no one would have complained. In fact, he actually looked pretty decent here. What happened on Dynamite sucked. This was fine. The match, I just did not care for at all. So the match, I I didn't really care for it either, but I I will say I've only seen Dalton one other time in person, and I I must have just forgotten because he he blew me away in this match in terms of what he can do and his size and kind of look. And my thought coming out of this match was, this is a guy who I think would be great in WWE. Not, Not necessarily the character, but the worker. Well, he is a peacock. He, so. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> sure. But like, I was just like, especially working against such a smaller guy. I was just like, wow. Like, I'm surprised this guy hasn't gotten into WWE or whatever. That was just my first thought watching him. The match is whatever. Jonathan Grisham is hurt and has been pulled from. Um, I, I think he got hurt in the match and he's been pulled from upcoming events based on various reports. Um, the, the, Post-match was kind of convoluted, but it got us to Samoa Joe coming out. Crowd went crazy for Samoa Joe, seeing that in person. So uh, I, I, I will say this. I don't like Singh and Lethal and Singh's manager it's weird. altogether. Yeah. It's weird. Just do just do Lethal and Singh. Uh, like, I, I, get, I guess I, if the guy's the other guy's the translator or something, I, I, I don't know. But it's weird because I think it's taking away from lethal it's like who is Samoa Joe feuding with here it's like both of them but the manager is not managing both of them it's kind of weird I think if you just cut that down to two people it'd be easier yep I agree with that on rampage Ruby Soho fought Robin Renegade Renegade took a shot into the middle turnbuckle when the referee got distracted and her twin sister took her place she caught Ruby with double knees on a senton bomb but ate no future and rolled out of the ring then Robin came back in from the other side of the ring no one thought twice about this for a roll-up and Ruby hit her with some type of crossroads style type of move for the win. When I tell you that this was awful, that's <laughs> me being kind. There's no reason to use a gimmick like this when you haven't established that the wrestler has a sister uh, on your television program. Even beyond that, the match sucked. At least Ruby got some TV time for the first time since February 2nd. Rosa on Dynamite also got a 30 second taped promo saying she would face the best AEW has to offer. That's it. No new challenger stepped up or anything like that. Chris, you got anything on these two? I, I don't really have anything. Any on, thoughts on it, really. Okay, on Dynamite, Britt Baker fought Daniela Camella. Uh, they were in Pittsburgh, so Britt made her return after a couple months and walked to the ring with Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth of the Steelers. Baker won with a lockjaw in a short match to qualify for the Owen. It was a really nice return the match was for her. However... After the match, Britt took the mic. She was out of breath. She didn't even yeah. let herself catch her breath. She said the women's division is a disaster without her. She insulted Ruby and said Tony Storm is going to want to leave AEW after Jamie Hayter kicks her ass just like she left her other place. She said she was a badder bitch than the baddies and would win the Owen tournament. Najee Harris then tried to say something on the mic and they cut him off because he wasn't supposed to. I did think that was funny. But <laughs> so while Britt's promo was well delivered, 
and typical quality that we get from her. I'm not sure that her returning after two months with the AEW women's division, I don't want to say as bad as it's ever been, but pretty close to it. Her coming back and shitting on the entire division and burying all the women. I don't think that's really a good idea. Now, if she had done that and then someone like Athena Ember Moon had debuted or someone like Chris Statlander showed up and got a huge pop from the crowd and started to feud with her, then it would have worked for her to do that. But they just let her get away with it. She shit on everyone and left to cheers from the crowd. Yes. Your yes. women's division sucks. Yay, go yes. Brit. You're awesome. Like, like, what is that? So this was that- a terribly conceptualized promo and the execution was fine. But this women's division, every week I watch on TV, it's getting worse and worse. The, okay, that's what I was going to say first. Was that the, You can't cut this heel promo in a face setting. She's coming out with Steelers. Everybody's waving towels. She's getting big cheers. You can't then have her cut a, heel, a major heel promo on everybody because she's just going to get cheered. This is, it's not the place to do it. Also, I didn't think it was a great promo. It's the same thing she says all the time. It's the only thing she has. And she was completely blown up and it kind of took away from it as well. Um, so I, I didn't like any of this. I didn't like the planning. I didn't like the execution. I love Britt I love Brit Baker. I'm glad she's back, I guess. But like the women's division sucks without me is the only thing she's ever said. And now that you're not the champion and you're just shitting out everybody to cheers, I don't think that's good. But it's also kind of true because she sucks up all the oxygen when she's there. And then when she's gone, you feel the void because AEW doesn't book anything of quality without her there. Right. There's so many things that they could have done to fill the void of Britt Baker where her coming back and saying this division sucks without me. You have someone come up. Actually, no, that's not true because we're doing this, this and this. And instead, they had Thunder Rosa immediately come out after her win and get cut off and not say anything. So you, you lost kind of the celebration. Then she's in the Nyla Rose thing that gets settled at Battle of the Belts. She does the same. Uh, she does the same cake spot with Nyla Rose that yes. d- that she Brit is criticizing WWE for doing with Tony Storm and the pie. Yeah. Like yeah. It, so it's 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 it's, it's she she's not wrong, but the the problem is she shouldn't be saying she shouldn't that be as, saying as it appeals <laughs> to cheers. And that's really on the company, not her or anybody else. Absolutely. Uh, On Dynamite, Hook uh, made his Dynamite debut and fought Anthony Henry. He hit a basement clothesline and won with red rum. Between the two moves, Danhausen cursed him again. He grabbed the mic and said if Hook wouldn't be cursed by him, they would fight. Hook walked away. There was nothing really wrong with it. But again, they haven't established what, who, or why Danhausen is what he is. And this had a home on Rampage. It felt forced on Dynamite. Don't waste Dynamite time with this. When you have so many other things to do, let it stay on Rampage. And that's really all I have to say on that. So the Dan Housen thing, I've gotten into him more in the last couple of weeks to kind of just figure out more about him. Um, and I think he's really, really funny. He was on the AEW Unrestricted Podcast last week talking to Aubrey Edwards and I think uh, Tony Schiavone. He kind of just gave some of his backstory character backstory just talked about this i was like okay now now i understand it now i can understand why people are really into it but they've not explained any of that on tv like you you have to really go out of your way Correct. to figure out who the hell dan Housen is what he's doing C- a couple weeks back dan Housen um cursed uh william regal and regal sold it like it, it was in new orleans it, it was the post dynamite bit that was on youtube and and he cursed Regal. It was really funny. But like you've not ex- that wasn't on TV. You haven't explained any of this stuff 
on TV. I think there's a lot of potential with him. People are really into him. Crowds go crazy for him. When he said you're going to fight Danhausen, that crowd popped huge. But if you don't already know, it's hard to figure out what it is. And that's, that's I think, the problem. That's where they're dropping the ball. I, I, I'm really interested in, in Danhausen. I think he's funny. I just think you need to you need to explain them or to get more people into him. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, some other stuff, random, you can cut in whenever you want. Eddie Kingston cut a promo at Daniel Garcia saying their groups aren't allowed in the building when they fight on Rampage and telling Chris Jericho the way he kicks Garcia's ass is going to be what he what he does and how he kicks Jericho's ass. Typically great Kingston promo. I thought House of Black also cut a promo. I honestly had no idea what it meant. Maybe I wasn't paying attention and I missed it, but like it, it was lost on me. Uh, there was also a promo from Jade Cargill ahead of her match with Marina Shafir. Typical garbage. But again, so Red Velvet and Kiara Hogan are now baddies, Red, both of which, by the way, have been faces. Red Velvet, who's arguably been Jade's biggest rival so far in AEW, is now with her. They showed her at ringside. I think it was at Rampage or last week somewhere. And then now she's standing with her backstage talking. And it's like, you're not going to explain this. You're not going to tell us any reason why they're with her. They're like, I think they're like, are they, are they the only three black AEW women's wrestlers? I'm not sure, but they're the three that come to right. my mind and now they're all together, but th there's no reason for it. There's no explanation. What the hell? And then lastly, Serena Deeb Nakarashita did the back and forth promo thing about finally ending their feud next week in Dynamite with a street fight in Philadelphia. I am looking forward to that. That should be a banger. That should be maybe one of the best AEW women's matches of the year. You have anything for any of this that I just kind of wrapped up here? I I'd completely forgotten that Serena and Sheeta was still going on. Right, I, it, of course. It's been at least a month, I think, since we've seen them. And this is the problem with some of these AEW things is that people are just gone for a month and then you come back and you're continuing the thing. And I just, I don't even remember why they're fighting. I, it was because someone was getting an award or something and Serena, Sheeta was getting something and I... I I think Serena interrupted. I, she I was like I fastest to a certain number of wins. Yeah. And it's like, I totally forgot. They're she just, broke the award just, over her head and then they started they keep, feuting and they won and they lost keep, matches. They keep fighting. I don't know why. I don't know what the end is. Sure. It, it's just, again, all uh, a lot of the booking, especially with the women's bookings, there's just things happen and it's just, all right, Serena versus Shooter. You'll like that match. We're going to do that. But that, like, for me, that's not enough. 100%. So that is it uh, really for this week in AEW. Definitely a lot to look forward to. I mean, I am really excited about the New Japan show. Um, Dynamite, the card next week, I'm actually not looking forward to. They're, the two two of the three or four things that have been announced, Sheeta and Deeb is what I want to see next week on Dynamite. The rest of the card that's been announced so far, I do not care about at all. I'm just being honest. And Rampage, from what I remember, there's really nothing on it in particular that I care about, which is a difference for me from what's really happened over the last four weeks maybe or so from AEW um, where they've really had a lot of stuff booked on the shows that actively made me excited to watch the next week. That is not the case for me, at least personally coming up. Uh, let's move over though. One, one, one other, one other thing, one other thing about yeah, go ahead. booking forward Excalibur listing off like eight matches or, or a ton of people rep for the main event. He like sped through it all somehow hat tip to him for doing it. It, it was, it, but I, I, it kind of highlights the problem with the AW booking in that he's just listing off like 20 people 
and you're like, next week, blah, 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 blah. It's like, that's not, that doesn't get me excited for next week. Like, and by the way, that's exactly why you don't have the hook match, right? Or you yeah. don't have one of these other like two, three minute segments because it gives you the opportunity to promote they, your next show. They crammed, they crammed so many backstage promos into this show that are like 10 to 20 seconds long. Yeah that they don't mean anything because there's so many of them. They lose their impact. I think the only in-ring promo on Dynamite was Brit? Sammy. Sa- Sammy too. And Dan Housen kind of. But like, it's, it feels like they're cramming so much into it that nothing is getting a chance to breathe. And that, that lessens the impact. Of that it. creates a really good environment for the live crowd because you're getting constant action. You're not sitting on your hands. Yes. And as someone who was there, we exactly we right. got there for four it, hours. We weren't bored. It's the opposite of what WWE does for the live crowd. For the home yes. crowd, it, it to me is too much. That's just what I. So there's definitely a, a very wide gulf between AEW and WWE, the way they pace their shows. And the sweet spot really legitimately is right in the middle. Yeah. But yeah. both of them are at totally different extremes right now. And yeah. I mean, WWE needs to come closer to AEW and AEW needs to come closer to WWE, but both need to kind of move into that center in terms of the way they pace their shows, uh, because it really is di- for both of them difficult to watch for different reasons, completely different reasons. Uh, OK, let's move over to NXT. Uh, Chris, I know, did watch NXT. He is not a constant uh, watcher where he sees every single week and he may have may not have opinions on every single thing. So Chris, I'll do a little slight pause at the end of each deal. And if it's something you want to interject, feel free. And if not, then I'll just keep moving on. Uh, the way I would describe this past week's NXT was controlled chaos. Uh, you had Legato Del Fantasma feuding with like three different groups, storylines intertwined with each other, lots of booking that countered my expectations from match finish standpoints. It was not my favorite episode, mostly because almost all of the matches except one were unnecessarily short, but there were definitely some highlights. So there's a lot to get to. The show's already an hour, hour 10 or so. So I'm going to get to as much as I possibly can, as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, Pretty Deadly opened the show celebrating their tag team title win. Grizzled Young Veterans interrupted, angry that they weren't in the gauntlet match. No shit. They should have been in that match. Uh, so They said basically... They only had, they being pretty deadly, success in the UK because GYV left. So they demanded a title match when Legato del Fantasma randomly came out and attacked them, clearing the ring. I was juiced that GYV actually got to do their entrance ramp promo for the first time in what felt like months. Um, They're just too good to hold down, as I've said numerous times. But as we're going to find out, that didn't play out the way I expected it. Indy Hartwell and Persia Prada, they were acting thirsty backstage when they saw Pretty Deadly and basically tricked them into agreeing to a match with Dexter Loomis and Duke Hudson. Indy later was trying to get the guys matching gear, and she was doing that while Hudson tried to game plan without Loomis actually answering, so they just stared at each other, uh, and Indy said that wasn't the way to communicate with him. This was actually pretty well done, the backstage stuff with them. The problem is, it made zero sense that Loomis and Hudson were getting a tag team championship match in the main event of NXT without ever teaming together and wrestling before. That was extremely stupid. So we got the match for the titles, pretty deadly against Loomis and Hudson. Uh, Hudson got the hot tag and made one champion spear the other. Then he ate a rotating slam for a 2.8. He eventually got blindsided with a boot for the loss as Loomis was knocked down outside. It was not a main event caliber match. It was largely a disappointment. There was no appearance by the Creed brothers who have been feuding with pretty deadly. 
There was one great moment, though, where Pretty Deadly slid out of the ring simultaneously. They did the Shawn Michaels deal where they throw the arm around the woman or women at ringside until they notice that it's not their partner that they expected. Shawn did it with Molina. I think he did it with Sonny back in the day as well. Very funny, very obviously something that he included in the booking of the match. And then we got Grizzly Young Veterans versus Legado del Fantasma earlier in the show. This was a five-minute match that felt like it was 10 minutes. It was almost nonstop. GYV lost their first names. So Gibson got knocked outside as Legato hit the rushing leg, leg sweep kick on Drake for the win. I did not understand this booking at all. Legato was just in the gauntlet match and lost. They also lose all of their tag team title opportunities. GYV had hardly been on television and looked to be among the new challengers for Pretty Deadly. And they just got beat straight up clean in the middle of the ring. It would have made more sense to me if you're going to do what WWE did or NXT did following this to just have GYV fight pretty deadly and lose clean because in two, there were two different non-televised explanations of stuff that happened on NXT GYV on social media. They were backstage. They were despondent after the loss saying they were done and they did not come to the United States for this. It was very similar to the Roderick Strong retirement angle that they ran a few months ago where he left and then he came back refreshed with kind of a different gimmick and different partners and stuff like that. So I expect that GYV is going to get an entirely new gimmick. I thought GYV was perfectly good as it was. As long as the replacement is as good or better, that's fine. My guess is that this they saw as a black and gold NXT gimmick. They want to give them more of a 2.0 gimmick with guys like that, literally grizzled young veterans, that might be tough to accomplish. But again, if you were going to do this, just give them the title match and have them lose the title match. There was no reason to insert Legato here. There was no reason to insert Loomis and Hudson. Allow them to have a 15, 17 minute title match, lose, and then you tell the same story. So I was just frustrated at the, the storytelling and the booking of this entire thing. It wasn't like the worst stuff in the world, but as someone who watches the show, cares about the tag teams, has been wondering about GYV and why they haven't been on screen and why they haven't been utilized, it was very frustrating to me. Chris, I know I just combined like four things into one, um, but I wanted to get it all out because I felt like you may have needed some context there. Is there anything yeah. that you kind of had about all of this? Your explanation of why not just change the opponent for Pretty Deadly and make it a longer match just to cut down on the number of things happening in the show makes sense. I, I The Loomis and Hudson stuff backstage, the matching gear stuff, it, it, it was interesting. But you made the comment about controlled chaos for this episode of NXT. There are, and this includes digital-only stuff, but there are 27 videos on the WWE YouTube page just from this episode of NXT 2.0. That's compared to 17 from Raw, which is a three-hour show. So it really goes to show just how much they really crammed into this episode. And I think what you explained is an example of where you could have maybe saved some space and give it a little, let, like we said with AW have let a couple more things breathe. Yeah, you do the GYV angle this week, and then you do the Loomis and Hudson angle next week with Pretty Deadly. Yeah. But that's all. It's super easy to do that. Again, I don't understand why they did it this way. And one thing we've talked about since the change to 2.0, those first two episodes of 2.0 were chaotic as hell. They tried to introduce and show so many people. The matches were like two, three minutes long, all of them. And those were among the two worst episodes of this new NXT. This felt like a mix between the NXT episodes of the last five or six weeks that we've loved and those early episodes that I hated. And 
because of that, this just as an entire episode, top to bottom, it did not hit me the way many of those other ones did for a large reason because of the main event. We're not there yet. We're going to get to it in a minute. Let me first move to Carmelo Hayes versus Santos Escobar. The guys cut promos at each other as both look to get a big win and return to the title picture. After the tag team match, Escobar told Tony D'Angelo to watch how a real boss handles his business. During the commercials, Fallon Henley attacked Electra Lopez, but they were separated. This was presumably an excuse to get both of them away from ringside. Escobar got a near fall with a twisting backbreaker. Hayes got a near submission with a single leg crab. Escobar had a great delayed vertical suplex and a big tope suicida. As he celebrated outside, two Italian goons hit him in the knee with a crowbar. The referee was distracted as Trick Williams tried sliding Mello a chair. Escobar got rolled inside. Hayes hit the flying leg drop for the win in 14 minutes. Easily the match of the night. Slight downgrade for the distraction finish, even though it made sense. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. That was a downgrade from where I was at before the finish. Uh, after the match, Mello said he dispatched of all the other contenders. He's ready to regain his North American championship. It's been like two weeks. I mean, okay. <laughs> Cameron Grimes came out to accept the match for what's being called spring break-in two weeks from now on Tuesday. As it looked like the heels were about to attack, Solo Sokoa saved the day with a big super kick and told Grimes he's got next. This was a bit convoluted given NXT never announced spring break-in ahead of the segment. Doing a triple threat with Sokoa allows him probably to get pinned and Hayes to move on or still demand on one-on-one match or maybe go after the main championship. As far as Legato goes, D'Angelo later denied the attack had anything to do with him, but when he found their Escalade in the parking lot, it was later revealed that it got booted and had a dead fish in fish wrap on the windshield, which obviously sent Escobar into a frenzy. I didn't see the two goons. I didn't get a look at their faces. I presumed one of them would be Fabian Eichner, given he split up from Imperium, uh, but I just didn't get a good look, so I don't know. But this was top to bottom, the best stuff that we got on the entire show. The match was good. Both storylines intertwined made sense. And yes, it was very stereotypical Italian stuff, but granted the feud that we're getting, Legato versus D'Angelo and now his crew, it makes a lot of sense. Look, as an Italian guy... I still love everything about Tony D'Angelo. I, I think he 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 really just embodies that character and does a really good job with it. You could do a really bad job with it, and I would hate it. But he does a really good job. And the the, the issue is he doesn't at the moment he doesn't really have goons with him. So if if they do this whole thing with Legato Delphin Desmar or not, if it feels like he needs two guys with him to do a a six man kind of like a Italian mafia versus it makes Mexican sense type of thing. Yeah. yeah. A cartel well, versus like, a mafia. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm interested in that. Like the, that's, the, that's kind of a, a cool story. So interested to see where it goes. I, I thought the D'Angelo stuff was again, really funny. Um, as for the, the spring break and triple threat, I was also confused when I heard spring break and I was like, wait, did I, <laughs> did I miss something? So that makes sense. I, I, um, I love Sokoa. I, I, I think he's like awesome. he's, yeah. he's obviously got ways to go a little bit, but he really looks the part and I think he's got a ton of potential there. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just fantasy booking him into the bloodline like as soon as possible, but you you, you want him to establish him himself on his own first. And, and I get that, but man, he feels like he's someone who could really bring in some no pun intended fresh blood to the bloodline story. He really could. And I think maybe if he loses this, maybe that's what they do. But 
Uh, that would make a lot of sense if they did it. Uh, Braun Breaker entered the ring at the end of the opening tag team segment. Uh, speaking about chaos, by the way, uh, demanding Joe Gacy come out with his father's Hall of Fame ring. Gacy appeared on every screen in the PC, kind of like Russell Crowe in Virtuosity. Have you seen that movie? Virtuosity nope. with Denzel Washington. No. Nope. Nope. OK, kind of like Russell Crowe in that movie, <laughs> laughing that Braun. That, that's not as offensive as like you're not seeing Rounders, but it's a movie. Denzel and Russell Crowe. I would think you see it. Yep, um, that, that's appealing. Laughing that Braun should come find him as Breaker left the ringside area. Braun later heard Rick Steiner's voice, but wound up being lured into a cage by a tape of the abduction from two weeks ago. Braun eventually made his way into some spooky room with mirrors. Gacy appeared in one mirror, so Braun turned around, didn't see him. He broke the mirrors and freaked out. Then as Pretty Deadly was celebrating their main event win, the lights went out and Gacy appeared on the crow's nest scaffolding, hanging over like the ring area. Braun made his entrance and charged up the scaffolding. Gacy said he'd give him the ring back if he got a title match. So Braun accepted and Gacy put the ring in his pocket. Then he pushed Breaker off the scaffolding into a void. When he landed, there were suddenly druids there that surrounded him as Gacy stood on the crow's nest, like menacingly laughing. This was incredibly bad. Like, I don't have the words to describe how horrible this was. Braun not immediately beating the shit out of the guy who abducted his father, especially after he got the ring, didn't make sense. Hell, Gacy abducting and then releasing Rick Steiner on his own didn't make any sense. Gacy becoming this new dark character without a shred of explanation for the change doesn't make sense. Harland not being by his side the last two weeks doesn't make sense. Gacy having druids doesn't make any sense. On top of this being completely terrible from top to bottom, it was also executed poorly. This thing has been a train wreck since it started. And it's a horrendous first feud for Braun since winning back the title from Dolph Ziggler. That came after he beat Tommaso Ciampa for the title. And then between Ziggler and this, he beat Walter. Like Walter's second or third loss ever in WWE. Gunther. 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 <laughs> Walter. I don't give a shit what his name is. He beats him. And the next week he's feuding with Joe Gacy who is now, what is it, uh, the Walmart? So like people people use the phrase, like the, the Walmart generic version. What is it? Uh, great value. The great value fiend now, apparently, of, of some type. This guy is the NXT champion. He won the title on Raw two or three weeks ago. You're pushing him. You're wanting people to tune into your show. And this is how you follow it up with Joe Gacy and Druids? It is stunningly bad. I have zero explanation for it. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissedivity. Go ahead. Look, everything you said is accurate. Makes sense. I'm not someone who is totally familiar with Joe Gacy. I, I know of him. I haven't followed him week to week. But I was entertained by the story on this episode of NXT. Braun Breaker going into the spooky rooms, the haunted house stuff, you know, playing the clip of the old video with, with Rick. I, I, I don't know. Like, I was entertained. Is this a world champion storyline feud? No. 
this kind of feels like Daniel Bryan wins WrestleMania 30 and then immediately Brie Bell is being kidnapped by Kane. It, it, it sounds very much kind of the same boat. But like, I, I don't know. I kind of I was I was entertained by it. Like, like I, just for whatever reason, you, you can say it wasn't good. But 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 I was entertained. And actually, I had a thought. We talked about this on the Tuesday show. But Braun Breaker gets pushed off into the void. And then the next thing is we see him down on the ground and they're using different cameras and look like it was taped or something like that. It's the same thing they accidentally did with Cody with Seth pushing him off where we don't see him land. You just see him for a brief minute down there. It, the Druids made no sense, but I was like, this is kind of weird. This is interesting. So again, coming in as someone who isn't, hasn't followed the Joe Gacy story. I, I Sure. But I was for this two hours as the story that played out throughout the show, I was entertained by it because it's the kind of thing we don't get on on Raw very often where everything's only ever in the ring. I actually I had a conversation with Jeremy Borash at the WWE tryout a couple weeks back here, and he he directs a lot of the outside the ring stuff that they do. And and, and so mm-hmm. it, it, it's hit or miss. But this very much felt like something he would have done. I don't know for sure, but. I, I don't know. I, I I was entertained by it. I'm not going to say it was good, but I was entertained. I was not sports entertained by it. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> uh, Cora Jade in a taped package said her future isn't bleak like Natalia said, but one of her idols disappointed her and now she wants to kick her ass. Then she ripped up a picture of them from when she was a kid and stomped Natty's face. Pretty good stuff, I thought, from Cora. Given her youth, she's actually decent on the mic already, and she's only going to improve with time. She's like 19 years old. I mean, she, you know, this a huge... Uh, experienced mountain for her to still climb. Uh, Natalia fought Tatum Paxley. There were some mind games early. Natty suplexed Paxley outside, put her in a surfboard. She got most of the action, but gave Paxley chances to look good. Eventually, Natty won with the sharpshooter as expected. I like that kind of unlike Dolph Ziggler, Natty is fighting with other people and not just Quora. The idea mm-hmm. of her possibly evaluating the whole division, like in reality for WWE, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Natty later talked trash to Quora saying, she was sick of the new call-ups to the main roster, making their name at her expense. So she was taking care of them before they got to the main roster in NXT. That was really smart reasoning. And it ties into what she said last Friday on SmackDown. So like, that was just one of the better, like continuity moves that WWE's made in a while. Like Natty showing up, they could have completely divorced it from what she's doing on SmackDown. But instead it, just totally fit together. So I did like that a lot. Nikita Lyons then stepped up to her. Nikita said she would take care of Lash Legend next week, then come after Natty. It was a pretty decent standoff between them with a lot of people stepping up to Natty. I do wonder when they're actually going to pull the trigger on her match with Cora. But at this point, I'm happy to wait because what they're doing with her is really good. Yeah, I, I love this. This is the exact type of thing you want when you bring a main roster person down to NXT. They instantly have credibility the crowd generally just supports them more either as a heel or a face. I mean, the crowd Natty was getting more reactions here than she's got on the main roster in forever. Uh, yeah, this works. It, the, it, it, it's a great setup. It's cool seeing her working with other people and kind of get that going. It's credible experience for people like Tatum Paxley. So yeah, this is great. So we had Saray against Tiffany Stratton, basically in a grudge match here. Uh, We didn't get Saray's full entrance or much of a recap of the feud, even though we know what it's about. Stratton dodged the basement dropkick and hit a cool falling springboard senton from the apron inside the ring for a near fall. Saray hit a double stomp and her decapitation dropkick. 
but Stratton caught her with an elbow or a headbutt or something like that, and then hit her twisting Vader bomb for the win in five minutes. This was way too short of a match and straight up the wrong booking. Saray needed the win and instead took a quick loss, which looked shitty. It would have been more palatable if it was longer and she lost, but the heel being able to bully Saray, steal her gimmick, while she's still trying to establish it, mind you, kick her ass when she doesn't have the gimmick, the, the pendant, and then beat her when she does have the pendant, it is such poor decision-making. The goal should have been to establish that with the amulet, Saray is more powerful, but when she doesn't have it, she struggles. Why should we ever believe in this gimmick or this character now? I don't want to say it was a burial because I don't believe that it was, but it was terrible handling of Saray, and it really makes me wonder if they have any plans for her whatsoever. I was incredibly disappointed by this, even more than the Braun Breaker thing, because that's just bad for being bad. This actually disappointed me. This is bullshit, man! I don't have much familiarity with, with either of these two, except for what you said on the pod before, but everything you said makes sense to me. Uh, Grayson Waller fought Sanga. Waller backstage called Sanga an idiot for ruining his championship opportunities. Andre Chase came up to talk trash when suddenly Sanga swung open a door. He looked, he did look like a beast, I gotta say. He chased Waller into the ring. Waller demanded the bell get rung and got his ass tossed around. Sanga dropped an elbow on his back and Waller grabbed the bottom rope to save the fall. He ran Sanga into the post and hit his rolling cutter for the win. This was pretty well done. Sanga did get a chance to look dominant for a stretch and make Waller's win more impressive, but obviously Waller had to win. I don't really have much of a takeaway beyond that, but you know, it was nice for Waller to kind of do this separate from Sangha. Waller has an extremely bright future. Sangha, I have no idea what they're going to do with him. Uh, yeah, I love Grayson Waller. I'm a huge believer in, in him. He is, I looked it up yesterday, I think 32 years old, so not on the younger side there, but th- that that charisma and he just, that it factor, he he absolutely, he has it. I, yeah. Actually, at Walleye Mania, WrestleMania weekend, he popped on the stage for something and just really had the crowd in the palm of his hands. He he is really talented. He does need to shave. He his he's got he had like a little stubble around his <laughs> lip and stuff like that. And it just it took away from me because if if he's straight, smooth face, incredibly good looking dude. Looked a little bit weird, like five o'clock shadow or something like that. Small he, thing. He gets that. really easy heel heat. Like he's a heat yeah. magnet, just like the Miz. He, very heat magnet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very similar. But you're right, 32, it's almost like you know what? Another six months, bring him up. Like, just kind of get him up there. Yeah. Let him do his thing. You know, look, people are still debuting. Like, Champa just debuted, and I don't know how old he is, but like he's 36. 36. 30, okay, I was a pure guess, and I got it right. But 30, so people are still debuting older, and, and that's fine. But, you know, 32, by that point, they should be up there kind of going, especially if, with what they're doing with 2.0 now, all these young people, way younger than that, you know, you don't want them to be kind of overwhelmed, right? Uh, Wesley got a promo backstage saying the last few weeks have been rough for him. He feels lost and he's been doubting himself. They didn't mention MSK or them dropping the titles, but it was very clear what they were referencing. Zion Quinn said the real problem is he doesn't run straight. Lee said, I have no idea what that means. Quinn said he would teach him a lesson. So Lee countered that he may doubt himself, but what he doesn't doubt is his ability in the ring and fighting him and beating Quinn should ease his doubts. It was a really interesting way to address the dissolution of MSK, but Lee was very competent on the mic here. That gave me a lot of hope for him as a solo performer. So we got Wesley versus Zion Quinn. Lee was shot out of a cannon, but Zion quickly overpowered him. Wes slipped on a springboard move. Lee caught him with a forearm, then hit his running forearm for the win. 
This was not what I expected. And I was really disappointed at first that this guy lost his tag team partner to no fault of his own and just got squashed, basically. Not squashed, but lost decisively and quickly in his first singles match. However, there was a social media video, just like I said with GYV earlier, that showed this is all storyline and character development. So I'm going to wait on it provisionally. I'll say this was good. Still, though, it would have been nice to have seen a more competitive match. Again, there was too much on the episode. Instead of this being three minutes, if they had seven minutes in it and he lost, you would say, man, he's really talented. He can go at this on his own, but it sucks that he lost. Then they give you the social media thing. Maybe they do that on TV instead of doing it on social media and they pay it off immediately at the end of the show. So again, just too much on one show. Instead of focusing on things that really matter, this was one of the things that I thought really mattered. Uh, Roxanne Perez had a vignette that showed her playing video games as a child, teenager, and then an adult as she spoke about it being her dream to compete in WWE. She started cutting a backstage promo when Toxic Attraction interrupted, saying that it's normal to be nervous around them and not to set her bar too high because she would not reach her goals. She was supposed to debut next week, but JC Jane said she had an attitude and wanted to fight her immediately on Tuesday. So we had Roxanne against JC. Two minutes into the match, Wendy Chu appeared on screen, tore apart the Toxic Lounge. Perez then caught a distracted Jane with Code Red for the win. Vic Joseph had a great video game call saying it was achievement unlocked. I appreciated that. Uh, so Roxanne Perez, for those who don't know, is Roxy, who was in Ring of Honor. And I want to say she was the champion there. Um, she made her debut last week on Level Up. And I cared so much about it because I've heard such good things about her. I actually watched Leveled Up. Uh, so she was impressive there. To see her there impress them the way she impressed me, that she got called up so quickly to be on the main NXT roster in a match. That's great. That's what we want, right? Uh, she's a super talent. She was trained by Booker T. And like Cora Jade, has a lot of influences from AJ Lee. I think she's going to be a no-doubt star. Literally the total package. Good look, can cut a promo, really damn good in the ring. So I was thrilled for all of this. But again, I just wish she had a longer match and didn't have a distraction with Wendy Chu. She, it's allowed for her to beat JC Jane. JC Jane, yes, she's one half of the tag team champions. She is not established as a singles competitor. There would have been no harm whatsoever in Roxanne Perez beating JC Jane clean without Wendy Chu. Um, you can have maybe Toxic Attraction attack after the match. Wendy Chu makes the save. Then you do Chu and Roxanne in a tag team match against Toxic Attraction if you want to do it. Again, it seems like, you know, I, I, Shawn Michaels is the main booker here. It seems like he's jumping ahead and not allowing people to establish themselves immediately. And I know that is something that WWE did a lot when he was there in his heyday. But, you know, with the book now, he really needs to be more deliberate about stuff and establish people and then let feuds and storylines play out instead of jumping two steps ahead when he didn't need to. So this was another example of something I really liked on the show, but could have been way better if there was just less stuff overall. I, I will say I was very impressed with Roxanne. I, I was completely unaware of her, but I saw a lot of people saying things on Twitter about her beforehand. So paid attention. She looked great. My only criticism was the the video package, which was the I grew up loving WWE playing the video game and now my dreams come true. Like I that they, they WWE does that character for like every new woman who comes in. They do that. I watched just, it on TV and grew up, but never the video game aspect of it. I guess uh, to me, it was pretty much that, that's not a that's not a character you connect to through any sort of life 
story. So it's just it was okay. whatever. I'm happy to be here is not is I, I, I hate I always hate. I'm just happy to be here as the babyface character. It's the exact same thing we criticized with Aaliyah when she got came up to the main roster and stuff. So that's so, not on her. Though. So where, where I'm going to so where I'm going to disagree a little bit. So like, OK, if you bring in someone who's like 24, 26, Aaliyah, who's been in NXT, you know, for she was in there for like however long, six years. Right. For her to say, I'm really happy that I finally made it to the main roster. It's been a dream and I've been working hard for it. It is legitimate reality that it's true. She was in NXT for six years and finally got there. Roxy and um, Cora Jade, they're 20 and 19 years old. There's really not a lot of story there. Like they didn't toil away on the independence. Roxy did a little bit, but like their story is we grew up watching this. We're finally of legal age to compete in WWE and we're getting the opportunity. So I think it's your criticism is fair. If other people feel the same way, I'm not saying that you're wrong to feel that way. I personally have no problem with it. I thought this was a nice enough twist on the entire thing where it sold me. And, I, and more than anything else, I like the vignette. I like the promo and I like the video yeah. game using young actors to kind of play her on her way up. Yeah. I just thought it was well I did done. like that. Yeah. I, I, I think I also just like that watching her play WWE 2K12 as a kid makes me feel old. A decade ago, she was 10. <laughs> She's 10 years old when that came out. Think about that shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Or maybe nine because isn't it done a year before? That's it's wild. Something like that, yeah. Anyway, uh, Malcolm Bivens lastly was on the phone with Ivy Nile telling her she's over in the United Kingdom to dominate. Roderick Strong said Diamond Mine's tough road is going to end because he's going to begin making examples out of people and he won't let another group crumble like his last one, referring to Undisputed Era. Really smart, quick way to explain Ivy's absence. Give Strong something new to accomplish without being in the title picture. The only thing I didn't like is they didn't really address the Creed's not being there. They should have explained they were injured from last week, recovering in rehab, whatever the case. But other than that, this was really good. Yep, totally agree. I, I, and I'm also curious to see Ivy Nile in NXT UK because I, I think she's great. So that would be interesting to yeah, watch too. She is super awesome. Uh, but that is it uh, this week from NXT. And that means that is also it this week from this episode covering everything that went down across AEW and NXT. I appreciate Vintage Chris Vanini for joining me on this rare uh, Thursday appearance here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We certainly hope that it happens more often. Uh, some reminders and information as we get out of here. Uh, first, what's happening next week? Tuesday, we're back with the WWE episode. Thursday, we're back again talking AEW and NXT. Same bat time, same bat channel. This was episode 293, which means episode 300 is approaching. The Silver King has a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, interviews, special appearances potentially. And Chris and I also have a backup plan for a very special episode that we will do just ourselves if some of those either don't come to fruition or don't come to fruition in time. So episode 300 coming in early May. You are not going to want to miss it. And the best way to ensure that you don't miss it is by number one, subscribing to the podcast if you don't already, but also by following us on Twitter at getting overcast we release every new episode there we tweet all week long there's every reason in the world to follow us there you also can interact send in dms and questions for the show that we can read we haven't done that this week there was really a lack of uh, tweeting so if you guys you know want your stuff on the show you got to dm the questions tweet the questions and we will be sure to read them on the air and answer them but also before we get out of here please do not forget the getting over wrestling podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. 
Tell people why you love the show, why they should listen, and why they should subscribe. And if you do leave a five-star review on Apple, as you heard earlier, we will read it right here on the show. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris, for joining me once again. For Vintage, this is the Silver King Adams, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.